I think people, you know, all of that disruption, yes, there's an economic stuff that happens as a result of it. There's, you know, maybe mergers or companies going under or shrinking or what have you. The stocks, uh, stock markets are tumultuous. But on the other side of all of that are people who are potentially nervous, who are scared, who are uh, just kind of frantic about, you know, are they going to be next? Are they going to be part of one of these headlines of, you know, such and such a company does another 10% slash and the CEO just sends out a vague email and their access is cut off. And, and so I think security leaders owe it to themselves and owe it to their teams to be in touch with what's going on in their businesses and really investing in their teams because like that sort of like feeling of safety and feeling of security in a personal like human sense really matters you know there's nothing that's gonna like cause somebody more anxiety which we do not need in this field like there's enough going on in this field already than you know a constant worry of are you gonna be next from Cobalt at Home, this is Humans of InfoSec, a show about real people, their work, and its impact on the information security industry. I am so excited to be here with my friend and former colleague, Robert Wood. Robert is the CISO for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. He leads enterprise cybersecurity, compliance, privacy, counterintelligence functions at CMS, and ensures the agency complies with security requirements while encouraging innovation. Prior to his role at CMS, Robert built and managed several security programs in the tech field, including top security roles at Simon Data, SourceClear, and Nuna. We met when he was a principal consultant for Sigital, where he advised enterprises about their software security programs. He built the Red Team Assessor practice at Sigital, helping organizations identify and manage risks from alternative perspectives. I am so excited. Robert, welcome. Uh, I am also super excited. Thank you so much for having me on again. <laughs> My pleasure. I think you might be our first repeat guest. You oh. and I did episode two together. Humans of InfoSec now has more than 80 episodes. And our last episode that we did together came out in March 2018. Some stuff has happened in life and career since then. I would love to hear about it. Yeah. So had another baby, which is, you know, been amazing. Life is all all good on so many fronts on, on a personal uh, personal level. Our little humans are five and two at the moment, and they're just awesome. Since then, I have joined the federal government, so I'm with CMS now, and I am I just crossed my two-year anniversary back in November, and so about two and a half years in now. This is my first federal role, actually, so there's been a definite learning curve for me on that front, but it has been getting into some kind of public sector work has always been a, a goal of mine, and and I've looked at doing stuff with like the reserves and the guard and, and just like volunteering and, and engaging with like think tank sort of nonprofit organizations. I, I have wanted and been seeking an opportunity to try to bring together the 
perspective and experience and, and such from my world in the private sector and bring that into the public sector and just try to do some good. And this particular role has been so personally and professionally rewarding on that front. So I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm very thrilled, very blessed to be in this particular spot. So, I mean, last five years has been, have been like awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. I am obsessed with your babies and wow, two and a half years, but they are so great. Oh my gosh. And actually, I don't know if you know this, but my dad was a public sector guy. And so just hearing the way that you talk about it, I can really feel the warmth and the compassion uh, for the work that you do. So speaking of what it is like to lead security at a federal organization that helps millions of people, what is behind your drive to work in such a high impact, high pressure environment? And specifically, what's the experience like compared to having worked in tech for so long. What drives me is, is really when you think about the, like what's on the other side of all the choices you make, the decisions you make, the work that you do, the hours you put in is people are able to consume and benefit from healthcare services. So yeah, CMS is of course in the healthcare space. We are insuring some of the most vulnerable people in the U.S. and through Medicare and Medicaid and like children-focused programs, and and so you know those people need the things that we do. They need the services that we provide, and and so that is that's a huge driver in in terms of doing security work and and cybersecurity, privacy, counter intel, you know, all of that, all of that sort of related risk management like stuff is is all centered on protecting and serving those people. And I mean, you know this about me, but for anyone who doesn't, I have a little bit of a Batman complex. And so the this for me was, you know, I like I am attracted to that kind of role. Like I want to help out and pour myself out for people and teams in that way. And so one of the other things, so I, I got recruited into this role. I did not apply in the traditional sense, uh, as the team that I was managing at the time, it was, I was at Simon data, which is a marketing company and I was running a team of three <laughs> and I was one of those three. And now I have a much bigger team as you might imagine. And the. I think we're, we're like over 400 in total between contractors and feds, and it's just a totally different landscape. And one of the things that the CIO who I met with and who is the, the gentleman who heard me and he's still here and we have an amazing partnership is he, he was describing for me the kind of things that they were looking for in their security program and they were, who they were really looking to bring into changes. You know, they wanted somebody to come in and be a cultural lightning rod. They wanted somebody with a background in technology, like good tech jobs that could set a vision and think big and bold and, and translate that vision down to technical people, but also to non-technical people, to other executives or partners in the agency. And, and also somebody who just had some energy, who wanted to kind of stick it out 
through the inevitably challenging times that come with working in bureaucracy and red tape. And, and so, you know, I, I kind of looked at all of that and I, I felt like, you know, who am I to, you know, I, I definitely wrestled with some amount of imposter syndrome leading up into it. And I still do from time to time, but you know, when I really tried to look at it as factually as I could, but like, you know, I feel like I would be a good fit across those three particular criteria. And, and so I want to, if, if this team wants to put their confidence in me, then I'm going to put my confidence, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do the same and try to do some good with the role and the opportunity. Phenomenal. I have always known you to be a cultural lightning rod. You and I met professionally before we got to know each other and became friends. And what I've seen you do is you build functions and you make things happen and you get stuff done. And I am delighted that you are doing this work for the United States. Thank you. Yeah, of course. I'm, I mean, it, it is definitely not, you know, I should say it's definitely not just me. You know, I'm in it. I'm part of it. And, and, you know, I think huge credit also goes to all the like awesome team players that we have in our team because, you know, it's, it's, it's like this big, massive, you know, you can't steer an aircraft carrier, which is all, yeah, it's kind of like what CMS's security program is in many respects. And you can't do that all on your own. You know, you have, you got to get people aligned and people have to understand it and people have to then take it and run with it. It's like this massive relay race that's being run in a million different directions. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really quite awesome to see the team dynamics that have been unfolding at the agency over the last couple of years. It's, it's super exciting. Very cool. I have always considered some of the organizational and people and team related complexities of the work that we do uh, to, to be some of the most interesting. Robert, I want to get your thoughts on something I've been thinking about recently, which is that I think when we're leading security teams, there is this frequent frustration in that sometimes our teams feel like their work can get treated as an afterthought after big organizational decisions get made. What do you think we can do to be more of a part of these conversations and make sure that a security perspective is really heard and represented? I think one of the first things we need to do is humble ourselves and recognize and appreciate and accept that our function is not the most important one in the room. Our function is there to support all the other things. And so if the decision that got made, even if we weren't at the table, if it's a good thing for the organization, it's a good thing to do for the stakeholders or the mission or what have you, then, you know, we need to celebrate that. And I think we can do more within our function by focusing more on how we support and serve others you know, taking that servant leadership kind of mantra and mindset to heart. And because if, if you're trying to convince somebody that your job and your needs and your stuff is more important than their stuff, then, you know, you might, that might work for a short term 
kind of argument or short-term uh, quick tactical decision, but it's unlikely to work for the long run. People need to feel like you're there for them. And if they also have a mutual respect and understanding for your needs and how what you're trying to bring to the table is going to help them or could help them, then I feel like they're going to, they're going to be more willing to engage you and invite you in because your perspective is more valuable. You're not, you're not there to make demands. You're there to help and be of service and move the mission forward. So I, I really think that it starts with that at its core. I love that. I mean, one of the things that I'm really hearing is that it's sort of like us against the world and not like us versus them. I do think that, you know, in my years working in this field, sometimes when I meet security professionals, they're so passionate about what they do. And they're often yep. so sharp and so opinionated. And I think that sometimes there's an opportunity to just kind of point all of that energy in a direction that says, hey, we and the decision makers and we and the business and we and the organization, we and the engineering teams, like we're on the same team, you know, and, and let's totally. put all of our effort kind of towards solving the problem together. Yep. I love that. Yeah. I mean, you know, you think about it, like there's, like we're very, very, there's a lot of very brilliant people in our discipline, but yeah, I've, I've met a lot of very brilliant lawyers and contract people and software engineers and product managers and marketing people who, who do things that I could only dream of doing right now until I you know, sit down and try to learn the craft and do it myself. And, and that's probably not going to happen in, in some of those cases. And, you know, I, I think if you look at all of these pieces of the organizational puzzle and strategy coming together to make the whole or to make a, a sum that's greater than its parts, you know, we have to recognize that we are a part of that. We're, we're an important part of that, but so are they. And, you know, you could, I mean, it's a, it's a common trope, but you could build the most amazing product in the world. And if nobody uses it because nobody knows about it, then it's pointless. You've added no value. And so you know, other people are expert and quote technical in their own rights, in their own way, in their own discipline. And so, you know, us really taking that like humble approach to our work, I, I think will get you really far and just kind of working to change and shift your mindset in that way will help you understand and appreciate who you're talking to and engaging with and who's on the other side of some of these conversations of what they might be going through. And you'll see things that I think you otherwise wouldn't see if you were, if you were just focused on these security related outcomes. I really like that. Sometimes I kind of think about like an organization as being like a human body with different parts. And if you decide that you're going to take this human body and you're going to run a marathon within like, you know, some time period, then you need like feet that work. And you also need like a heart that works <laughs> and you need eyeballs that work. And like, you know, your heart can never be your eyes. <laughs> you know, your eyes can never be your feet, but you really need these things working together to get you over the finish line. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, using that metaphor too, you, 
you couldn't have, uh, you know, gone and treated your body like an amusement park the night before and drank a bunch of alcohol or smoked a bunch or ate like crap or, you know, whatever it was, and then expect to wake up the next morning and knock it out of the park in your marathon. Like, you know, all of these, all of these things have to work together and, you know, you need the parts and you need to tend to them well. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe there's an idea for a future blog post. And actually, I will. Uh, why don't we just go there? Uh, you know, I had planned to ask you this question, a couple of questions down, but let's just go there, which is to say, Robert, you recently launched an initiative called the Soft Side of Cyber. Can you tell our listeners more about it and what inspired you to make it a thing? Yeah, absolutely. So this has been on my mind for years now. Just having having worked with, you know, that situation I've just described, having worked with brilliant people who couldn't communicate their ideas or who were abrasive or, you know, seeing people who weren't super sharp technically, but able to just get insane amounts of things done or bring people together, you know, what have you. Like I've just grown to have this amazing appreciation for people or for the, the more human centered side of this discipline. And even once I started getting into these leadership roles or management roles where, you know, when you're pen testing or threat modeling or looking at code, nobody ever teaches you how to do budgeting or team building or strategic planning or, you know, manage a portfolio of vendors like that. You're, you're just kind of expected to know that stuff when you get to these roles or to figure it out. And, and you can really mess things up. It could be really stressful. And so, you know, this, I, I've sort of been growing to appreciate this, this yin and yang symbiotic relationship between these two domains of skill. And, and so a friend and a colleague of mine, Frank Demizio, we started this thing earlier this year, soft side of cyber. It is all about trying to focus on and bring awareness to and resources to support and learn and grow to help people in any role they they may be working in in cyber, whether in forensics, pen testing, sales, uh, leadership, architect, engineer, whatever, to help you grow in the non-technical aspects of your job to help make these things relatable and give you a place to start and a place to go so that you can be more effective in your role. Because if, I mean, if you were to break it down where there's, let's say just for whole numbers sake, 50% of the skills that you need to be in any particular role are technical, 50% are not technical. Even if you get amazing at the technical skills and you're, and you're incredible then you're only, you know, hundred percent of 50%. And if you don't invest in that other 50%, then you're going to be, you know, doing, doing this life, doing this career with one hand tied behind your back. And so what we're really hoping to do is help people become more effective in their jobs and, and ultimately just raise the bar for our field as a whole through that particular angle. Well said, I love it. I think it's really important. I think that's going to be an incredible resource for our community. And, you know, super funny thing. 
I just did a Google search to remind myself of a talk that you and I gave together a very long time ago at B-Science. Vegas, right? In yeah. 2017. Can you believe? Like, it was really a long time ago. And that was called Hacking Office Politics for Cybersecurity Leaders. Um, uh, and that's just yeah. like one little component, I think, of this much broader discussion that you're really bringing to the forefront. That is so cool. That was a fun event. Oh, it was so fun. Oh my gosh, we must do it again. Let's definitely plan to to do something like that again. Can't wait. Also, fun fact, I've never been to DEF CON and I'm thinking about going one year and bringing my daughter because I think that she would have so much fun. There you go. So... Uh, she, Lots of fun things I'll she would. Def, Defcon is so fun. <laughs> you know, Defcon gets kind of a a bad rap sometimes with because it is, you know, it is it is a very it's almost like a like a cult classic of conferences. But it is it is a lot of fun. Like the people there are, like, there's so many good, humble, incredible human beings that uh, that are in that that part of the community, and it's just a lot of fun. You should totally do that. Oh, I love that. I'll be coming to you with questions and let's uh, do it. I'll bring I'll bring Bruce. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. Cool, dude. So another question for you. You know, when we did episode two of Humans of InfoSec in 2018, whoa. That was pre-pandemic. <laughs> Uh, and here we are now, and not only was there COVID and remote work and, like, all these different things. So here's a question I've got for you. Right now, organizations and humans are going through major changes in order to survive and find their place in the bigger economic picture. And sometimes you get these operational pivots that throw large chunks of security work out the window, especially around risk and vulnerability management. And so what do you think that security leaders can do to try and manage all of this disruption that we're experiencing? I think, in that, I mean, first and foremost, you know, people... You know, all of that disruption, yes, there's an economic stuff that happens as a result of it. There's, you know, maybe mergers or companies going under or shrinking or what have you. The stocks, uh, stock markets are tumultuous. But on the other side of all of that are people who are potentially nervous, who are scared, who are just kind of frantic about, you know, are they going to be next? Are they going to be part of one of these headlines of, you know, such and such a company does another 10% slash and the CEO just sends out a vague email and their access is cut off. And, and so I think security leaders owe it to themselves and owe it to their teams to be in touch with what's going on in their businesses and really investing in their teams because like that sort of like feeling of safety and feeling of security in the in the personal like human sense really matters you know there's nothing that's gonna like cause somebody more anxiety which we do not need in this field like there's enough going on in this field already 
than, you know, a constant worry of, are you going to be next? So, you know, I think that's first and foremost. Another thing that I think security leaders should really be focused in on right now is trying to seek continuous ways to challenge the status quo, because as organizations keep changing and evolving, there's, there's opportunities, I believe anyways, to bring in other parts of an organization into ours. One key example of this is uh, an initiative we have going on right now at CMS is uh, we're referring to it as the security data lake. And this is basically taking the status quo of what used to be a bunch of bespoke silos, security data, living in different tools in different teams who owned it in different fiefdoms, basically, and collapsing all of that into one, like a data plane, basically into a data lake. And, you know, we can have different aggregator services for S bombs and asset management and vulnerability data and logs and, and all of that sort of stuff. And then everything kind of goes into this, this backend, but but as part of that, you know, there's there's work to be done on the consumer side of it. So people who are taking data and building things on top of it, dashboards, reports, analytics tools, et cetera, or that are doing the producing of data, the managing the production part. So managing Kafka clusters and APIs to do the ET, you know, uh, focused ETL data ingestion and enrichment, that that sort of thing. And so we're starting to bring these other parts of the organization together to work alongside of us. And so we're, we're basically like through this project, changing the makeup of the organization to support its needs in a more effective way that the normally very siloed hierarchical org structure quite simply just doesn't really support. And, and then like, there's this uh, organizational theorem called Conway's Law that basically posits that any any time that an organization produces something, be it a product or a service, it is a mirror of the organizational structure that built it. And so by trying to bring teams together, we are trying to work against and kind of like directly uh, uh, address that particular theorem so that we don't end up with this big jumbled mess. And really we're, I mean, we're bringing a lot of capability and trust and collaboration into the cybersecurity orbit just by virtue of doing this particular project. You know, we're talking more seamlessly with ops. We're talking more with HR people. We're talking more with the training folks with, you know, compliance and operations and insider threat people are talking like, you know, this, this sort of stuff is making our organization, I believe, more resilient and and more effective at the same time. And so that's another thing that I think leaders can start thinking about. Like you don't necessarily have to take this idea and try to make it happen in your, your own organization, but thinking about ways that you can change the nature of your work to bring in more resources or functions or teams or specialties across organization, because that will make you, I believe, more resilient in the long run. That is really cool. I feel like every time I speak with you, I learn about something new. And of course, today is no exception. I am new to this concept of Conway's law that says 
organizations that design systems end up mirroring their own communication structure, what cool food for thought um, and how amazing that you and your team are actually putting some of this data architecture into place. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Yeah, I well, I, I do have to give credit where it's due. So I got this this idea or some of this some of this was sparked by me reading this book, Team Topologies. And Conway's Law plays a big feature in that book. It's basically about how to organize teams around value streams and, and crafty team APIs to make them more effective and communicative and collaborative and such. And I was I brought so much away from reading that book and I've I've probably read it three times since I first got into it. And so, you know, the data lake effort, it, you know, it, it, like a big, a big part of how I end up doing my work is I kind of take these ideas and these concepts and these mental models from all these different places and my experience, and my learnings and all that. And I, I start just like assembling them into different things. You know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, I posted a picture on LinkedIn, I don't know, a couple months ago when my older son had basically just dumped out all of his Legos on the floor. Like that's kind of what the inside of my brain looks like. <laughs> and I'm just kind of like putting things together in these weird combinations. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes it works. <laughs> I love it. It's going on the reading list. Team Topologies. Robert, thank you so much for joining me today. I find that when we get a chance to connect whether it is a text chat or a personal call or a professional call. I always just have so much fun and I feel like it could go on forever. I want to say thank you Likewise. so much for spending your time with us today and sharing some of your mind Legos with our listeners. <laughs> you are very welcome. And thank you again so much for having me. So much fun as always. And we're going to make that DEF CON thing happen. Yeah. And I think I'll get to see you in San Francisco even before then. RSA. Yes. Woo. Humans of InfoSec is brought to you by Cobalt, a Pentest as a service company. You can find us on Twitter at Humans of InfoSec.